Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Emery Gorgon, section head for surgical colorectal oncology here at Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Gorgon is here today to talk to us about non-operative organ sparing approaches for rectal cancer. So welcome and thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Dale. Thank you for inviting me and it's my pleasure to be chatting with you today. Maybe just start out, tell us a little bit about what you do here at Cleveland Clinic. I'm a colorectal surgeon. Uh, I uh, treat diseases of the colon and rectum. Uh, Of course, my passion and my interest here is mainly treating neoplasia and malignancies and cancer. Uh, Having said that, certainly we do treat a large variety of diseases in terms of also inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, diverticulitis, and also anorectal diseases like hemorrhoids, fistulas, fissures, prolapse, a large spectrum of diseases that is part of the problems that you can get in, in, in our colon and rectum. Okay, that's pretty diverse. And today we're going to talk about rectal cancer and rectal cancer management. And so, you know, a lot of the physicians that may be listening in may not do this on a regular basis. So we're going to talk about some of the changes that are taking place in management. So maybe you could briefly tell us kind of what the standard of care has been, and then we'll talk about where things might be going. Well, uh, this is actually a very timely and important topic because a lot of things are currently changing uh, in the United States and in the world. And the treatment strategies for rectal cancer is very fluid, very liquid. It changes all the time. And it sometimes gets really hard to keep up with. So I think this podcast might hopefully uh, help some of our uh, audience to understand and, and, and see what's out there available and what is the cutting edge uh, approaches are in the treatment of rectal cancer. For a long time, we have been treating rectal cancer with new adjuvant chemo radiation. We're talking about, of course, locally advanced rectal cancer, stage two, stage threes, and uh, with new adjuvant chemo and radiation. In other words, giving them chemo and radiation before we even operate on them. And then we would wait about eight weeks, two months or so. We would see some responses, some shrinkage in the tumor size and anatomy, followed by we would operate on them. We would either do permanent colostomies or take the rectum out and put it back together with the cancer. Then after, we would wait a little bit more time and give them chemotherapy in the form of adjuvant chemotherapy. So uh, with this type of approach, we have seen that there is uh, up to 20% of the time complete responses. So we would do the operation and we would not even find one out of five patients, no cancer. So then we started to think, why are we doing this? Why we are uh, operating on these patients? Maybe uh, we can give the chemotherapy before surgery, maybe increase that complete response rate. Not only that, in addition, the another benefit was here that if you operate on these patients, sometimes there are delays that you can start the adjuvant chemotherapy, the therapy that they receive after surgery, and the compliance would be lower 
because they are either not feeling well or they might have some complications after surgery. So the thought process was there might be a lot of advantages if you would give the chemotherapy, not necessarily after surgery, but before surgery, thinking that that would not necessarily harm the patient in the form of having their cancer progressed. And uh, believe it or not, this is uh, pretty much with this new approach where we slit the chemotherapy after surgery, before the surgery, this approach has become standard for, for our center here and uh, also for a few other centers in the United States. And this is also a treatment modality that NCCN also supports and uh, recommends as well. Having said that, I would say across the board, across the United States, I think uh, most centers do not treat rectal cancer patients using this approach. We believe, and I believe that there is room for improvement here for all the centers across the United States. And with our experiences so far, uh, I think this new approach is much more advantageous for, for the care of our patients with rectal cancer. So by eliminating the surgery, essentially, certainly you, you, you don't have that as, a, as a, a moment in time where people are getting that treatment. And it sounds like, of course, everything is compressed in terms of their total therapy. What kind of time frame are we looking? So newer approach, how many weeks, old approach, about how many weeks? How, how much time can we eliminate in addition to the surgery? Yeah, I mean, the, the timing is changed, and that's something that we are still uh, evaluating and trying to master it, if you will, you know, and find the best timing and intervals in terms of treatment. But it, we do similar to what we used to do, five and a half weeks chemo radiation. We treat patients with that as we were doing before, so with chemo and radiation therapy. Then after we rescan them about uh, four weeks, five weeks after this treatment, and the reason for that is to make sure that there's no progression of disease. And very rarely, this is the case. Then we just break that uh, algorithm, uh, the pathway, and we go into directly to surgery like we used to do. As long as there's no progression, which majority of the time there isn't, about six weeks to eight weeks, we start them on chemotherapy. And then that's, as you know, a classical, uh, about four, four months of uh, chemotherapy, multiple cycles, that, that's the standard adjuvant chemotherapy cycle that our patient used to get after surgery. So that's, that's about four months. And you might remember the complete response rate with our new adjuvant chemo radiation upfront was about 20%. So with this type of combination and TNT uh, or total new adjuvant therapy or squeezing or bundling all these medical treatments before the surgery, we actually have seen increase in, in complete response rates up to even 40%, and in some cases even higher. Uh, and almost like half of our patients, their complete response rates are uh, very high. That means large number of patients, we even end up avoiding the surgery altogether. So then they are done with the whole treatment modality in about, uh, uh, you can think about like, in a, in a term of six months, they are completely done. But then, they, of course, for complete responders, I'm talking about, but uh, then we put them on a very strict watch and, and wait protocol, uh, so active surveillance, we, where we really monitor these patients extremely closely, and we watch them like a hawk. Uh, every three months for the two years, we do flexible scopes, make sure that endoscopically there's no signs of re recurrence. 
and uh, also MRI every six months to make sure that there is no signs of any disease recurrence uh, in, the, in the deeper tissues. But with this approach, the emphasis I want to make here is that for some patients, the tumors might be really, really low work. Only alternative for surgery would have been APR or permanent abdominal perineal resection with permanent ostomy, colostomies. That I think this is a huge quality of life improvement. And of course, avoidance of morbidity and even in some cases, mortality, that these patients only avoid all that and they get to keep their native organs and their rectum. So I, that, therefore, this approach is commonly referred as organ sparing approach and these patients really greatly benefit from it. For the ones that do not show complete response, however, then uh, of course we operate on them. Uh, that's about also six to eight weeks after completion of the chemotherapy. And then they, they have the surgery. Obviously we do have uh, cutting edge, minimally invasive approaches for that uh, robotic approach uh, or tra- transanal from the bottom, TATME for more obese patients. And of course, in our hands here at our center, we are specialized also for sphincter preserving, like we can still keep their control muscles in place so they don't have to have a permanent back. When you think about patients uh, with this upfront therapy and potentially not surgery, what kind of differences have you noted in either local or distant recurrence? This is definitely an approach that has been studied widely in in the literature. Uh, As you might know, uh, this was something that was popularized in Brazil, uh, and there's uh, large data on that. Uh, The key is, of course, the main question is that the distant disease is comparable and overall and long-term survivals are uh, similar. To to the best of our uh, ability to tell, the the studies so, so far are completely uh, completely uh, favorable in terms of keeping these rates with our classical approaches. So with the, the apparent advantages of having a, a pretty large number of people being able to keep their rectum with the, the uh, upfront treatment, why the controversy? Why haven't more centers adopted this? I think there are uh, main, main uh, controversies. Uh, I think lack of um, knowledge, I would say and lack of adaptation. Uh, I think uh, there's, especially this is now the COVID hit, I think we would have probably advertised this a little bit more. I think what you're doing is also very important. I mean, the outreach, as much as we can, you know, uh, go out and spread out the worth, I think that's uh, that's very important to do. Really, uh, patients are referred here after receiving chemo radiation like they were before uh, for surgery, and then they come in, they have chemo radiation completed, and they come in with their physicians telling them, hey, you're going to go to the Cleveland Clinic and have surgery. We say, no, we're not going to operate on you. We're going to just give you chemotherapy. They get su- surprised, you know. I mean, I, really, I would say lack of uh, knowledge and, and not maybe keeping up with more current treatment approaches are out there. I think attending conferences probably was helping a lot of physicians, and that shows the importance of these meetings as well to all of us. I mean, one way or another, we were updating ourselves. And certainly with with the COVID last year, this hasn't been perfect. But maybe one other maybe smaller possibility is the concern that what if we don't operate on these patients, what happened to these patients, you know, and what in the long term, the tumor comes back. I mean, that's a big question and concern of the course. But we know that from the data, that's a very 
low incidence, like about 20% or so, maybe there's some regrowth in the lumen side, intestine side, and with frequent watch and monitoring, these can be certainly salvaged at that time. And we know that the salvage operations are very successful as well. Do you find that uh, if there's a hesitancy to move forward with this um, upfront treatment, is it more on the doctor side or more on the patient side? Definitely more on the doctor side, I think, if, if there is any hesitation. But again, I think that is, if any limitation, that's mostly a lack of knowledge. But if, if not doctor side, I would say, because patients love this. I mean, they, they come here all the time with, you know, to avoid their permanent ostomies for patients that has, have really low cancers. And I think this is a great opportunity and chance for, for these type of patients, especially for any patient, but especially low ones that, you know, you totally can avoid surgery. I mean, that's not a low chance, like 40, 50% of the time, you may completely avoid surgery. Uh, and for the ones that are distal, uh, we do still do good sphincter preserving operations, but nevertheless, you know, their functions are affected. They are, these are very, very tight connections. Uh, you kind of need to shave off the little bit control muscles and uh, that can be associated with seepage, uh, you know, leakage, uh, some uh, urgency. Uh, of course, over time, these improve, but certainly if you could avoid all this, uh, you know, that would be great. Having said that, of course, there's another, the flip side of the coin where we don't know, and that's something that I'm very excited and, and, uh, and passionate about studying, and there's no data on this yet. What, what about their functional results with, you know, the, the ones that keep their colons uh, uh, in, or rectums in place uh, that they didn't need to go to surgery? Because there's certainly going to be some effects of uh, radiation and chemotherapy as well. And that's something that, as the head of the uh, colorectal section, I'm very excited to lead that, to, to look into that. If we think about, you, you mentioned kind of this frustration, sometimes when people show up and they've had part of their therapy and they want surgery. You know, if, if you think about patients that, that may not be showing up or, you know, are there patients that you think this is best for? Uh, so is there any patient selection in play? I mean, clearly, you know, the stage twos and threes, but are there any other characteristics that you'd say, well, you know, it'd be awesome if we get this group here because this really benefits them. Is there, are there populations that may benefit more than others? The ones that are locally advanced, stage two, three, that are really low, like I said before, like rectal muscle involvement or uh, control muscle involvement, these are, uh, these are, I think, the best, to be honest, because, and also the, the ones that higher risk, or either they have comorbidities that they, can, they cannot easily tolerate surgery, or they have morbid obesity, surgery would be really hard on these patients, narrow pelvis, male patients. So these patients, even in, you know, in for small tumors, getting the, these rectums out, surgically removing is very, very challenging. If we could preserve or avoid surgery altogether, that's a huge gain. So this group of patients are, uh, I think, uh, would benefit from this uh, incredibly uh, well. Uh, of course, to expand this to other patients, maybe even early cancers, you know, because if uh, these more advanced tumors are responding, maybe a rate of 40, 50, you know, maybe very early cancers may respond even higher with that. And 
I mean, yes, they are at a lower risk for local recurrences or distant recurrences, but if we can avoid operating on those patients, I think that would be something to expand upon. I mean, obviously, the works are in place for that. The research, we don't know, you know, results of this, but uh, I think that's what we're going to be seeing more and more. And one other area is, and these are kind of future directions, I think we classically always said if tumor is invading into the rectal control muscles, then even if there's a response, we always went with APR, permanent back. We still ultimately, after chemo radiation, we did take their muscles out. But with this, if there's good response, because there's additional junk treatment with, with chemotherapy, maybe I think this can also increase our sphincter preserving rates as well. So that's another uh, area for benefit uh, approaching this, this way. And so you'd mentioned previously that there were still considerations about how exactly to give the chemotherapy in lengths of time, and that's all being sorted out. But And, you, and then you just mentioned something about maybe being able to do things like the sphincters a little bit easier. Are there other surgical changes taking place to sort of account for the fact that a greater number of patients may have good responses and you may be dealing with less tumor? So either less extensive surgeries or what does that look like? Yeah, thank you for asking that. We recently submitted our video on that. Uh, with this uh, TNT, there is uh, occasionally what we see is there's extremely good response, uh, radiologically almost complete response, but endoscopically we may still see some irregular mucosa, some small scar areas that not completely look epitalized, uh, that we want to make sure what's in there. So for that, we certainly have local excision methods, and I'm privileged to be leading our endoluminal surgery center for the lower GI. And with that, we do endoscopic submucosal dissection, endoscopically go in and take these areas completely excised in an M-block fashion. Or we can you know, certainly do these with techniques called TAMIS, transanal minimally invasive surgery. So not taking still organ preserving approach, organ saving approach, but just taking these areas uh, locally, excising those and making sure that there's no cancer left or even if there is, you know, it's confined into the space and we can completely excise that uh, in an M-block fashion. But majority of the time, we either find adenoma tissue or high-grade dysplasia, which of course makes us feel good and we stay on that watch and wait protocol and monitoring registry. Well, you guys are doing great work to to uh, improve the lives of our patients with rectal cancer. This is really some interesting work and look forward to seeing where what comes up next. So any additional comments? This is a very important uh, effort to put this word out there. I, organ preservation and organ sparing approach and TNT, total neoadjuvant therapy, uh, should be advertised across the United States more frequently. And I'm looking forward to uh, have more patients take advantage of this approach and get to save their rectums and have better functions down the road. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Dale. Have a great day. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.